And now hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 14, verses 16 to 18, and verse 26, as well as Acts chapter 1, verses 8. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. So I forgot something. In the middle of that announcement, I was supposed to, at the end, say what to do with that card when you fill it out. You can put that in the offering a little bit later this morning, or if you want, put it right in the baptismal font. No water in there this morning. It'll be just fine. And uh, so you can place it in there, too, at the end of the service. If you're new with us today, we have begun, just in the last couple of weeks, a new series on the power and person and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we uh, began that by noting that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but the third person of the Holy Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, these are different names for the very same person. Not an impersonal force. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit He, the Spirit of truth, when He comes to you. We find in the book of Acts that people lied to the Holy Spirit, that Israel in the Old Testament grieved the Holy Spirit. So a person is someone you lie to or you grieve. The Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal force, but God himself coming to us. And we noted again in that regard last week that the Spirit of God is a promise to us and, as I noted just a few minutes ago, to our children. The Old Testament looked forward to a time when the ministry of Jesus, which is full of the Holy Spirit from start to finish, is amplified out through his people. It is the Holy Spirit at work in God's people carrying the mission of Jesus forward into the world. And the Bible goes so far as to say this, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that is a deeply intimate personal relationship that we're called to have with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us and in us and upon us. And it's those three words I want to draw your attention to in just a few moments. Jesus says in this text that we've just read in John 14 that he will send another, and the ESV says, helper. This is always a difficult word for us to translate, this word that Jesus uses, the, the Greek word that's used, paraclete, uh, it, 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 we don't quite have an exact English equivalent. And so what happens is the various English translations have ventured out trying to find a way to say it. The King James Version, you'll remember, some of us, some of us who were raised on the, on the authorized version will remember that it says another comforter. But a comforter sounds like a blanket or a shoulder to cry on maybe, you know, something like that. And that doesn't quite get it. And um, some versions will use the term counselor, counselor. Uh, This version, the ESV, says helper, 
Well, the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. But counselor can sound like someone we go and, and sit down and talk with about the issues that we're facing. An excellent idea, by the way. But that doesn't capture it either. The word counselor, in this sense, is more of a legal term. Like counsel approach the bench. It's a law court term. That's the term that's in view here. It could be translated advocate. I will send you another advocate. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus was just, this was the night before Jesus was betrayed, and he was saying to them, I'm leaving tomorrow, and it's to your advantage that I'm going. Now imagine Jesus saying to you, I'm leaving You've been with Jesus for three years. You've seen everything that they've seen, heard everything that they've heard. And he says to them, it's about to get better because I'm leaving. You'd say, well, the Lord, that's impossible. How can you going away make things better? We want to go where you're going. And Jesus says, well, where I'm going, you'll go, but you can't come now. But I'm going to send you another And again, sorry to do all the Greek thing here this morning, but the Greeks had two different words for another. One meant another of the same kind, and the other meant another of a different kind. And this is another of the same kind. I'm going to send you another advocate just like me. Someone who will continue my work and make it even larger, make it even greater. In other words, what the Holy Spirit does is take the work of Jesus that has begun in him, the Spirit being upon him, and then amplify it out through his people. And when you turn to the book of Acts, that's exactly what you see. Luke opens the book of Acts with these words. I wrote to you previously, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do, both to do and to teach. All that he began. What's the book of Acts? Well, the book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do. But he did it by the Spirit through his people. And what you find is that the very same miracles and very same power and very same presence that's in Jesus, in Galilee, in Jerusalem, in Judea, that very same power and presence is now with his people as they move out into the ancient Mediterranean world and they spread his message, which is what you and I are called in our ways and in our place to do, all through the power of the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? Well, Jesus uses three words to describe the work of the Holy Spirit with us. Three prepositions. I want to give those to you this morning. They're very simple. Jesus says, here's the first one. Jesus says to his people, his followers, I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper, somebody just like me. You know him, even though you can't see him, because he's with you and will be, here's the second word, in you. And then, after he's raised from the dead, he tells his disciples, just before his ascension, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. With, in, upon. Would you say it with me? With, in, and upon. And in those three words, there's a a little summary of the way the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives. First of all, the Holy Spirit is working with people. He was not yet in the disciples. He had not come to dwell within them, but he was with them. What was the Holy Spirit doing with the disciples? This is before Jesus' crucifixion, before his burial, before his resurrection. 
What's the Holy Spirit doing? Remember, uh, the, whole, the, the disciples of Jesus, I think we sometimes imagine that they really did have kind of halos around their heads, like in the paintings, and they kind of floated around about three feet off the ground with their hands folded like this the entire time. That isn't how they looked, is it? That's not how it worked. These guys were just like you and me, looking to follow the Lord, but a mess. You know, Peter would say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you've just had a revelation from the Father. And then within within minutes, Jesus had to say to Peter, Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's, that's, That's theological whiplash right there, right? You're having revelations from God, you're the devil incarnate. Okay. Now, that's kind of the schizophrenia where they lived and where we live. And the Holy Spirit was with them. What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's revealing Jesus to them. And he's leading them to the cross where they didn't want to go. But they needed to get there because that was where their sins would be forgiven. That's where they'd find their life. The Holy Spirit was working with the disciples in all their frailty and their fallenness and their brokenness and their passion and their sin. All of those things, he's at work there with them so that they're coming to know the person of Jesus. You know, there are people all around your life right now you work with, you go to school with. They're your neighbors. And they they don't know Jesus yet, but do you do you recognize this, that even if you can't see it, the Holy Spirit is working with them, even if the Holy Spirit may not yet be in them. You know, the Holy Spirit would never come to dwell in you if he had not yet first worked with you to reveal to you Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is with these men, leading them to the cross, showing them who Jesus is so that they can have faith in him. He leads them to the cross. He leads them to the empty tomb. He leads them to a realization of who Jesus is. And then in the resurrection, something incredible happens. It's the next word, in He is with you, Jesus said, and he will be in you. So in John chapter 20, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, you'll remember this from the very first Sunday we talked about the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gathers his disciples together, and he says, peace to you, and then he breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you will receive the Holy Spirit, but right now, receive the Spirit. And he's reenacting Genesis chapter 2, where God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into him. And the scriptures say that Adam became a living soul in that moment. He moved from dirt and inanimate object to a living being. He came alive with the spirit, the breath, the wind of God coming into him. When Jesus did that, and the Spirit came in the disciples, they became alive. That was creation beginning again. That's why the Scriptures say if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Creation is beginning. The Spirit of God is taking somebody and making them new. He comes to dwell within us. You know, that's needed by every single one of us to be temples of the Holy Spirit. 
The temple of God in the Old Testament, that's what Paul's making reference to, the temple in the Old Testament was only a building, glorious, splendid, always majestic, spectacular architecture, but it was only ever gold and stone and wood until one thing happened when they dedicated it, and it says the glory cloud of God came down. And it filled it, and it was thick, it was heavy. You know, the word, the Hebrew word for glory means heavy. It was heavy, man. And the thickness of God's presence was so rich that the priests couldn't even get off the ground. They were just down on the ground because the presence of God was so strongly upon them. That's what made it the temple of God. What makes you the temple of God? It's because the Holy Spirit, the glory cloud of God, dwells in you. We're not, we're not aware of that sometimes. That's not unusual. Because one of Israel's religious leaders was unaware of it too. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. In John chapter 3, we have the record of him coming at night to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, you've got to remember who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was somebody who was a professionally trained theologian. He was at the upper echelons of his culture. He was somebody who was a leader among those people, not just a part of it, but one of the primary leaders of it. See, when we think about somebody needing a fresh start, we think of somebody needing a new birth, we think of somebody needing to begin life all over again, we think of somebody, oh, you know, on drugs. Somebody over there, on the other side of the tracks, somebody who didn't have the educational advantages that I had, somebody who doesn't have wealth and power, you know, the poor, the the people that, well, of course, they need religion. They need this crutch. But that kind of mindset not only belies our own arrogance, showing that we don't understand our own personal poverty, it also also demonstrates that when Jesus talks about new birth, he goes to the place that's the highest in the culture. He goes to the place of power. He goes to the place where you think there wouldn't be any need. And he says, you who think you have no need, you who, because of your Ivy League education and the thickness of your portfolio, you who think you have no need, you need to be born again. You need a whole new life. You need to be born of the Spirit, Jesus says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him, it says, at night. I always call that text, Nick at night. (laughs) So here he is. He's come to Jesus in the middle of the night. And here's how Nicodemus starts the conversation with him. He says, Jesus, we know. Now, can I just suggest to you that when you have a conversation with God incarnate, beginning the conversation by telling God what you know, it's probably not the smartest move. We know Because we're educated, because we're wealthy, because we're powerful, we've done our analysis, and we know 
And Jesus looked at him and with love, with love said, you need to be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said, what? How can a, can a man get back in his mother's womb? What are you talking about? And Jesus said, no. What's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the Spirit is spirit. You need the Spirit to give you a whole new life. You need the Spirit to come in. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And then Jesus gives him the coup de grace. You're a theologian of Israel and you don't know this stuff? Jesus loved messing with theologians. He said to groups of theologians, have you never read the Bible? I love that. He says to Nicodemus, you're the teacher and you don't get this? You don't get how the Holy Spirit has to make you alive? In other words, Nick, these are the basics. You need a new life in the Spirit. And that's what every person needs. We need the Holy Spirit working with us, but then we need the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us. And when he does, he makes our lives temples of his glory. Now think about that. Your life is a temple. Splendor. Beauty. Wonder. Magnificence. That's who you are in Christ Because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The temple, Solomon's temple was coated in gold so that when the sun hit it, it reflected for miles around. My friends, your lives are living testimonies to the gospel of Jesus because the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of you. The Spirit who is with you is in you. But then Jesus uses another word. He says to these people, who have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's in you, he says, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That third word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, is Jesus empowering us for the service to which he's called us. That word's used all over the Bible, the Spirit being upon someone, upon a priest, Upon a prophet, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, so I preach the gospel to the poor. The Spirit came upon him at his baptism. And a lot of you could easily dismiss that and go, yeah, 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 the Spirit's upon, it works of power and service. Yeah, that's for, that's for all those people who are working vocationally in the church. That's for those people. I don't need to have the power of the Holy Spirit upon me to serve him. Because that's about preaching, isn't it? That kind of thing. Well, it certainly includes that, but let me remind you that the very first person in the Bible that says, upon whom the Spirit came, was a craftsman. He was an artist. His name was Bezalel. He was a person who worked with fine jewels. He was a person who worked with gold and with silver and with wood. He worked with his hands. It doesn't say that he prophesied a word, but here's what he did. He made all the furnishings of the tabernacle of Moses. God told Moses, I've put my spirit on him. That means that what he did with his hands was in the power of the spirit. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. But he's the first person in the Bible that has the spirit upon him 
just like you who work in an office or work in a factory or listen to people and help them or do surgery or teach a class. The Spirit can be upon you so that the work of your hands is something that testifies to the glory of God. This is something that we need to be more keenly aware of. When Johann Sebastian Bach wrote his compositions, when he composed all that thrilling music, he did it as an offering unto God. Everything He did, he, he did it all unto God. And he would get at the end of his compositions, he would always write at the end either one of two things, J.J. or S.D.G. J.J., Jesu, Jesu Jubel, joy in Jesus. Joy in Jesus. Or SDG, soli deo gloria, to God alone the glory. This means that every single Monday, we can get up and we can go, and we can get to the end of Friday, and at the end of the Friday, not just celebrate because it's the weekend, but we can take all the stuff that God called us to do with our hands and simply offer it up to him and say, joy in Jesus and Lord for your glory. It didn't have to be in a church. It could have been anywhere, but it was the work of your hands, and it was all through the power of the Holy Spirit. You may have thought the Holy Spirit was only someone you were supposed to experience in a worship service, so your goosebumps were flying in formation. Woo-hoo! Well, I love that. Just, I mean, as much as anybody, man, I like that stuff. But I'm telling you, man, the Holy Spirit is with you lawyers. Now, I know some of you, now your hackles are starting to rise. The Holy Spirit's with the lawyers too? How can that be? How can that be? How many of you pray for the Holy Spirit to be with your surgeon? Oh, yeah. And your nurse. You pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work. You see, what's happened is the work of the Spirit has been eclipsed. I had to get one in. One. I had to get one in. All right. What was the over-under this morning on mentions of the eclipse in the sermon? Had to get one in. The Holy Spirit and his person and work has been eclipsed by religion. Religion. Religion will rob you of God himself and turn church into the best place to hide from the Almighty. But when you have the Holy Spirit with you and in you and upon you, when you know that he is there, then your whole life becomes an offering to the Lord. You've been born of the Spirit. You're baptized by the Spirit into the body. You're full of the Holy Spirit. Everything you do becomes saturated, soaked with his life-giving presence. This morning, I want to ask you that question. Have you said, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, be upon me so that all that I do is an offering to Jesus? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never known what it means to be born of the Spirit. You've been in church, but that's where Nicodemus was. He was in the synagogue. He was a theologian. He was, a prof- like me, a professional Christian. I get paid to pray. <laughs> but he needed a new birth. Do you know the gospel does not promise you a second chance? 
the gospel of Jesus promises you a new life. And that happens by the Holy Spirit doing with you what he did with the disciples. He leads us to the cross, right to the foot of the cross, where we see Jesus hanging there, dying for our sins. And we say, Lord, if you love me like that, then you're someone I can trust. And we take our heart, and we take our past, and we take our future. We say, it's all yours. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me new. In a crowd this size, I'm sure that there are people here this morning who haven't done that yet. You haven't said yes to Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And there are others of us that just need to say, Lord, I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on my life so that when I get up tomorrow morning, I'm doing it in your power and not mine anymore because I am worn out. I need your power. So that by next Friday, I can write JJ on my week. Joy in Jesus. If that's where you're at this morning, I'm going to say a prayer. And if you mean it, I'm going to invite you to say it with me. Just quietly, silently in your heart. I am not going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. And with no one looking around, somebody raise your hand. Not going to do that. But I am going to ask you to pray. To ask the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Would you pray this with me? Quietly, silently in your heart. Lord Jesus, you've promised me the Spirit. With me. In me. Upon me. Bring me new life by the Spirit. Empower me with the Spirit. Make my life a holy, beautiful temple by the Spirit. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.